Notes from America is supported by Future Hindsight, an award-winning podcast that shares big ideas about participating in American democracy beyond voting but short of running for office. Join host Mila Atmos for stimulating and incisive conversations with citizen changemakers on topics ranging from gerrymandering, policing equity, and voting rights. In this election year, Future Hindsight offers an unaffiliated perspective into what's at stake and how citizens can make an impact at the local, state, and national level. You'll always come away with something hopeful. Tune in every Thursday to get engaged and stay engaged. Listener supported. WNYC Studios. Hey, it's Latte from Radio Lab. Our goal with each episode is to make you think, how did I live this long and not know that? Radio Lab. Adventures on the edge of what we think we know. Listen wherever you get podcasts. Hey, everybody, it's Kai. Over the next four weeks, we have something special coming your way in this feed. It's a four-part series about a high school building in Brooklyn and a girls' volleyball team that's competing for the city championship. The voices in this story are so compelling. These students, they're grappling with what it means to go to school in, by some measures, what is the most segregated school system in this country. This special series will drop on Thursdays each week for the next four weeks, so listen to the episodes in order. And of course, you're still going to hear the regular show on Mondays as well. So check it out. I hope you enjoy, and thanks for listening. So, like, we think he's about to announce, like, who is going to get on or not, and I'm so nervous, like, the whole time... Mariah Morgan is trying out for the girls' varsity volleyball team at her high school, Park Slope Collegiate, in Brooklyn. Also, it's very hot in this gym, like... It's all sweating. Everybody's sweating. Oh, and I'm so nervous about this. I mean, a lot of people seem chill about it. Like, some of us are a little anxious. In a gym where everyone has to wear a mask, Mariah's eyes tell you if she's smiling or frowning or following the arc of a ball over the net. I mean, I feel like I'll cry either way, if I'm not on or if I'm on. Yeah. Yeah. Overall, I don't regret it being here. She's a junior, and after a year of COVID and remote learning, she's just so eager to get back on the court. Okay, so it just ended, and they called my name, so I'm on the varsity team! (laughs) It was very intense, because we literally, I really want to play. I just want to be on the team, I don't know. I'm going to try to hold on to the excitement in Mariah's voice. There's not a lot of that anywhere these days, much less in high school. But what's happening in her school, on that team in particular, is exciting. It's even historic. It's a brand new team, and I've gotten to watch as it takes shape. There used to be two athletics programs in Mariah's school building. Like, we had to play each other twice every year. For more than a decade, they had the kind of rivalry that you might expect between two high schools in the same town. It was sort of competing for, quote, who's the better team in the school. And this year, they merged. Meshing is like the best feeling ever. Threw away their old jerseys, put on new ones, started rooting for each other. The thing is, Rooting for this team means figuring out what it means to win. I came into this thinking I'm going to coach this team like I coach my Black and Latin teams that I've had in the past. Because the two programs coming together isn't just a merger. The other word for it is an integration. Let's go, let's leave it all out there. 
It used to be that one team was made up mostly of white and Asian students, and the other had mostly black and Latino kids. They played separately for a decade, effectively divided by race and class. And then, last spring, school administrators announced that it was time to play together. But even the best of intentions didn't prepare anyone for what happened next. Over these four episodes, we'll hear how the decisions made on high by adults meet the lived reality of students, of teenagers on the court, and how they feel that heavy burden, the effort to reverse segregation. From WNYC Studios and The Bell, this is Keeping Score, a year inside a divided high school building that's trying to unite through sports. I'm Alana Casanova-Burgess. Before we get to the current merger, to the integration, you're going to need background on this campus and how things got to where they are. Let's stand on 7th Avenue between 4th and 5th Streets in Park Slope, Brooklyn. In front of us is this hulking public school building, neo-Renaissance, brick and stone, big windows, four stories tall. This is the John Jay Educational Campus. If the outside wall could swing open like the side of a dollhouse, you'd see four schools, one on each floor, each entirely separate. And they've each created an identity to attract students. All the students walk through the double doors and right into metal detectors. On the other side, they peel off, heading to their own worlds. First floor. Cyber Arts Studio Academy. Cyber Arts Studio Academy. CASA. CASA, for short. We have digital media and things like that. If you could describe CASA in one word, what would that be? Sustainable. We stay afloat. All the schools have a kind of focus or brand, and for CASA, it's STEM education. It's the smallest school in the building, with just over 200 kids. One word, um, very black. CASA's student body is nearly 90% Black or Latino, and almost 80% of students come from low-income households. Up the stairs to the second floor. Law. 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 How about law? And the secondary school for law. We took law classes. Which, yes, has a focus on law. There's, like, a lot of law stuff on our hallways. Law is mostly a Black and Brown and Hispanic high school. The student body is 95% people of color. There's fun things. The teachers is Gucci, some of them, not all of them. It's fun, but at the same time, it's like kind of like chaotic. Gotta keep to yourself. Up another flight of stairs to the third floor. Millennium. 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 Millennium Brooklyn. And suddenly, you feel a big difference. I think Millennium is pretty fun. Extra help if you need it. Very selective high school. A selective public high school, which means middle school students apply and get in based on metrics like grades. Millennium is tight-knit. Of all the schools, it has the most students, nearly 700. It also has the best pupil-to-teacher ratio and the highest graduation rate. The people here are very uh, determined. It's got students from low-income households, but far fewer than the bottom floors. Not as diverse as you think. Very awkward. Clear tension. It has many more white students than the other schools. And finally, fourth floor, Park Slope Collegiate, or PSC. A very, very interesting school. They teach a lot about what's going on socially. 
PSC has an explicitly anti-racist, pro-social justice mission. We try and fight for equality. They make sure we're okay with like most of the stuff that's going on around our community. PSC is similar to CASA and law in terms of demographics. It's very diverse. The diversity is the reason you'd want to stay. So there's a lot going on in this one building. A few months ago, we teamed up with a nonprofit called The Bell. It offers student journalism programs for public school kids, including some that go to the schools in the John Jay campus. They've been reporting this series with us, recording stories from their classmates and their own. We're actually separated because of Sifting through their tape, it's clear there's a serious emotional toll from going to a school in a building as divided as this one. They'd be like, where are you from? You're not from our school, go back to your school table. I guess he didn't see me, and he just said the N-word. And when I turned around, you should have seen his face. It like he's seen a ghost. How would you just assume that I don't go there? Is it because I'm Black? Over the years, news outlets have used the friction at John Jay as a kind of case study for the New York City public school system. So while the sports merger is what brought us to this story, it touches on such bigger issues. Which is why I want to hand over the next stretch of this episode to my colleague Jessica Gould, who covers education for the WNYC Newsroom. New York City has the largest public school system in the United States, with almost a million students. More than two-thirds of them are Black or Latino, Less than a third are white or Asian. And it's deeply segregated. By some measures, it's the most segregated school system in the country. Many of the city schools look like law or CASA, almost totally students who are Black or Latino. Students at selective schools, like Millennium, are disproportionately white or Asian. They also tend to have more advanced placement classes, extracurriculars, and sports. And what's interesting about the John Jay campus is all of that's happening under one roof. It's a microcosm. So I've been talking to students from the Bell about what it feels like to go to school here. Lauren Valmay is a junior at PSC, and her journey begins really early in the morning. So my day starts at like 5.50, 6 o'clock. That's when I get up. And I'm out the house by like 7, 10. Lauren lives in the East New York neighborhood of Brooklyn. I would say it's mainly a, a Black community because I live right near a mall. The only reason I, I would see like a white person in the neighborhood is if they're going to go shop. Her high school in Park Slope is seven miles away. It's a whole like shift in um, de- demographics. It's It's like... I went from seeing, like, all Black and brown people to predominantly white. Her commute takes an hour and a half, sometimes more. And I have to go drop my sister off to school and then take the freight train to school and get off at Grand Army and then wait for another bus, 69. And so I'm with law kids and classic kids and Millennium Kids teachers, and they're all trying to get to school. It's a whole process. Please exit through the rear door. Stepping off the bus, she sees families with little kids, little dogs, and many coffee shops. I just think these people, like, must have, like, a lot of money. Because these coffee shops are expensive. 
She likes to get there early so she can take a few minutes, sit on a bench, and breathe. I'll sit outside and I'll just watch as the teachers uh, walk into the school, like slowly, and watch as the kids go. One thing that's notable about Lauren's commute is that she travels from a mostly black and brown neighborhood to a mostly white neighborhood, only to end up in a school that's majority black and brown. She watches the buses empty out. It's like a big change. So if you turn your head left for just one second as those kids are coming up from that block, it looks like a whole different neighborhood. And the neighborhood just like turns back to just being almost fully white. Only about 15% of kids who go to New York City public schools are white. Many white families have just opted out of the public school system going to private or parochial schools instead. Those who stay in the system often go to the same schools. Like the amount of white kids that go to millennials, a lot. At John Jay, each school starts at a different time. Millennium goes first at 8 a.m., then the law kids go in at 8.30, followed by CASA at 8.45, and finally Park Slope Collegiate at 9. That's when Lauren goes in. And I walk past and go to the metal detectors. I take my time and go up the stairs because there's no point in rushing. And my bag is very heavy because I got my computer in there and my charger. And I'm walking up those stairs and I take a break, maybe on like the third floor and then walk up again. And when I get to my my school, I'm really relieved. And to take, I take like a little, not like a victory lap, but a little lap around the school just so I could like calm down, reset. A couple minutes behind Lauren is Mariah Morgan from volleyball. Like basically, my outfit kind of revolves on the metal detectors. Those two rectangular scanners right at the building's front door take up a lot of mental space. Mariah plans what she's going to wear before she goes to bed, editing out items that could ring. I see girls all the time taking off, and guys too, who have ear piercings. I see them taking off their jewelry and then walking through and back and through, just taking like every single thing off and disrobing themselves basically to get to school. Every day, the first adults she interacts with at school are security officers who check each kid as they go in. Like, there's been a couple of times where I've walked in and they'll say, like, good morning, but I don't hear them or I have my headphones in. And then they'll just, like, walk up to me and be like, I said good morning. So it's not the best start to your morning. Mariah is Black, and she told me the story about the time she brought a hair pick to school. The officers confiscated it because they said she could use it as a weapon to stab someone. So it's very criminalizing to, like, have a wand, physically wand you, and then you have to put your hands on the table, and then you have to, like, lift your leg up and have them go over your shoe. WNYC ran the numbers a few years ago and found Black and Latino students in the city are nearly three times more likely to go through metal detectors than white students. Officials started installing these scanners in the early 90s, It was part of a response to shootings and stabbings inside schools. Advocates for metal detectors say they help keep students safe. And there are real concerns about safety right now. Crime is up in the city again. 
And there's been a rise in incidents involving guns and knives in and around schools, too. Mayor Eric Adams wants to install more scanners. The thing is, some people argue that metal detectors perpetuate racial stereotypes. Like, it's kind of telling you that you're supposed to be scared of the kids that you go to school with. That in itself contributes to the just demonization of black and brown children. In 2015, a Park Slope collegiate student was wearing glasses that set off the metal detectors. Officers forced him to the ground and handcuffed him. There were rallies and petitions. The student sued the NYPD, and it made the news. At Park Slope Collegiate, a huge mural was painted about what happened. In it, students are holding signs with slogans like, Scholars Not Suspects, and Injustice to One is Injustice to All. And they're basically pushing off the metal detectors, like, off a cliff. So... When I do get upstairs from, like, that bad experience of being policed by the officers and then seeing that mural, it's very revitalizing to me. Mariah says she feels an activist spirit all around PSC. It's made her even more passionate about equity, specifically racial justice. I take a lot more initiative in organizing now. Uh, If I feel like something's wrong, I always go to my fellow peers in the fight. Those peers in the fight aren't just at PSC. They're across the campus on all four floors. But connecting with them in this divided building is its own challenge. That's after the break. Carnegie Hall is one of the most famous concert venues in the world. The first time I walked on the stage, I felt like my feet were moving, but they were not touching the floor. Join us for If This Hall Could Talk, a new podcast that explores the history of this iconic landmark through the unique items in its archives. I'm your host, Jessica Vosk, and together we'll explore how the past shaped the culture we live in today. Listen to If This Hall Could Talk wherever you get podcasts. This is Keeping Score, a year inside a divided school building trying to unite through sports. I'm Jessica Gould. I had came into the country on a Saturday and I started school on like a Tuesday, I think. Renika Jack moved to the U.S. from Guyana and she started school at CASA just a couple days later. Growing up, she had ideas about what life at an American high school would be like. Because we had cable, so it would be like high school musical and stuff like that. So I came here expecting, you know, a big football field, homecoming dances. But she was surprised when she arrived at that big brick building in Park Slope. It wasn't your usual typical bright high school with kids out on the lawn and stuff like that. It was just dull and it was like, like scary. No popular kids or slackers gathered in groups on the grass. There wasn't any grass at all, just concrete and, inside, metal detectors with lots of students filing through. 
I saw the white kids and I was like, oh, this is American high school. Yeah, of course it's going to have white kids because I've never been to school with white people. So I was like, okay, this is cool. But then when I finished with the front office and they showed me to my class, I was like, where are the white kids? Like, there's, there's no white kids here. Literally none. It was just um, black and all the minorities. Her school on the first floor is 93% students of color. I've like always wondered why, especially Casa, don't really have like white people and we just have like blacks and we have the Hispanics and everything. That question has always sat at the back of my mind. As she settled in, Renika came to love her school. We just come and do our work and try to make the best of all the opportunities that our amazing teachers are actually giving to us. But she wishes the students got to hang out more with kids from across the campus. Unless we have a bake sale, we would go up to the lunchroom and interact and stuff like that with them. But we keep to ourselves most of the time. Um, do you have friends in the other schools? Do you ever interact with the other students? Um, no, I don't. Noor Mussin is a junior at Millennium. She's been interviewing students about the divisions within the building. She talked to Leila Azmi, who's half European and half Egyptian. I don't have any friends in the other schools. I just, we never have a chance to talk to each other. And we don't have lunch at the same time as most of them. We get out of school at different times. We're on different floors. And it just kind of feels like there's a lot of tension there. Um, And... Yeah, I I don't think about them too much just because I don't have to, but I think that's definitely something that could be changed with more collaboration between the administrations. Millennium Brooklyn is on the third floor. It's the one that has far more white students than the other schools at John Jay. But Noor says where she used to go to school, it was way more homogenous. She's Muslim, her parents are from Iraq. She grew up in a super white town in New Jersey. Kids didn't get me. Like, no one pronounced my name correctly. Um, I had people bully me. They saw my name saying it sounded like floor and, you know, door. And I had kids tell me I didn't believe in God because I was Muslim. For her, moving to Brooklyn and going to Millennium was kind of a relief, actually. She felt like she fit in more. I was like, wow, this is great. I've never, I've never seen so much diversity She says she chose Millennium because of its reputation for strong academics without being a total grind. Oh, yeah, I love, you know, I love so much. You can tell the teachers care about each and every one of the students and really want to help you move forward and they want to help push you forward, which I just, I love. I love science, I love history, I love English, I love it all. Noor says the academics are great, but there are real tensions, too. Last fall, a student tore down and burned a free Palestine sign and then posted a video on social media. It was deeply upsetting to many of the students across the campus. There was a sense that the administration was slow to respond. Our school has kind of brushed it off, unfortunately. When it comes to interacting with the other schools, she says Millennium is isolated. 
Her classmates agree. We basically ignore the fact that we're part of a shared building. And it's like Millennium is its own school. Atika Chowdhury is South Asian American. We don't talk about the other kids. And when we see them, it's like we pretend that they're not there because it's always awkward because it's kind of like accepting that we're not the only people in this building. But when we're on our floor, all we're thinking about is this, like, this is our school. Like, there's no other school in the building. It's just us. That's how it feels like, at least. Delcina Kolenovich is white. Yeah, I always say that it feels like we're in, like, a business building. Each floor is its own, like, business. Mm. And then we're only focusing on, like, what our business is striving for. And the other schools are, like, doing their own thing. So maybe it's not surprising that the separation between the schools can breed suspicion, even outright resentment. Some kids talk about Millennium students having a superiority complex. Plus, they say that staff discourage them from going on each other's floors. And that has a chilling effect. Kids of color who go to the other three schools in the building say they're afraid of getting kicked off Millennium's floor. Jada Peart graduated from CASA last year. She remembers there was this one time when she was a sophomore. She had a headache and she asked to see the nurse. The school nurse is on Millennium's floor. And as soon as we walked through the double doors to the floor, a man who had been patrolling the hallways, I assume, he said where we were going. And I told him that we needed the nurse. And he said, and I quote, go back downstairs. You don't look like you go here. And I was just really confused about it because in my head, I was like, what, like, what is that supposed to mean? Is it because I'm Black? So she left. I had to suffer with the headache all day and I couldn't see the nurse. And all of that, it just plays into the idea that our schools are segregated. We're not equal. The city's Department of Education told us they're aware of these problems, and their efforts to address them are ongoing. In the past few months, the DOE sent a restorative justice team to work with the school community. And in recent years, the school changed its screening process to reserve more seats for students from low-income households. But the percentage of Black and Latino students at Millennium has declined. Kids from all four schools have been organizing through the campus council to try to hold the administration accountable and to improve relationships across the building. I am happy I'm in the school, but I think now that I'm in the mindset of like, okay, well, what can we better? I feel like that's just like all I'm looking at. I mean, we could talk, we could lose our voices, we could scream, we could kick down doors. Let's not kick down doors, guys. We could do so many things, Again, Renika Jack. It will never change. Because at the end of the day, us students, we only have so much power. It takes the people in higher positions to actually get it done. So we might have to have some pixel, fairy dust, something, magic stirring, something for it to happen. Alana here. It wasn't magic. But last spring, something did happen. I'm literally in AP late right now, and we're reviewing the homework, and I just didn't do it, so I'm not paying attention. Uh, But I got the email just now about the teams 
joining together. I kept hearing like about like the sports team and stuff, like it coming together. And I didn't believe it at first and stuff like that. But then eventually the administration had decided the two sports programs in the building were going to become one. They'd all be the John Jay Jaguars. I was like, no way they're really about to merge everybody's sports together. No way that's going to work out. The early reviews were mixed. Putting people who might not like each other and telling them to play on the same side kind of sounded like a recipe for disaster. I think that us merging shows that we're not the pretentious image that the other schools have of us. And just show that at the end of the day, everybody's the same and they just want the same thing. Last fall, as students returned to the building after a year of remote learning, everyone was invited to something called Jaguar Day, a pep rally in the auditorium to bring all four schools together. And I was very interested because at first I thought, oh, that should be really fun. Like, so I was trying to get friends to go with me. Renika and her friends watched as a cheerleader got on the stage. She was screaming on top of her lungs, trying to fill the whole auditorium with her voice. And it was like, okay, wow, okay. And then a coach came to the front and tried to get kids to chant this new slogan. We are one. We are one. And we only become the strongest bamboo tree in the world by taking care of each other. You are Jaguars. I think at the end of it, they were trying to get us to be like, all stand up and say from your chest. We are one, and it was like, we are one. The kids were just there like, no, we're not. We are one. That's the slogan that hangs from banners all over the school now. It's as if the building is willing itself to unite. And in the second floor gym, one of the first experiments of the merger is underway. That's next time on Keeping Score. Keeping Score is a co-production of WNYC Studios and The Bell. The WNYC team includes Alana Casanova-Burgess, Jessica Gould, Joe Plord, Jenny Lawton, Karen Froman, Emily Botine, Wayne Showmeister, and Andrew Dunn. For The Bell, Mariah Morgan, Renika Jack, Nora Mussin, Tihan Nelson, Jacob Mestizo, Taylor McGraw, Mira Gordon, and me, Lauren Valmay. Fact-checking by Natalie Mead, music by Jared Paul, with additional tracks by Hannes Brown and Isaac Jones. Special thanks to Afi Yellow Duke, Rebecca Clark Callender, and Tracy Hunt. Thanks for listening.